in March of 2013, when our daughter was five years old, Jorge Mario Bergoglio was elected by the College of Cardinals to be the Pope. When we explained to her that the Bishop of Rome had chosen Francis to be his papal name, our daughter was ecstatic. That's my name, she exclaimed. Maybe I can be the Pope someday too. <laughs> Anticipating her disappointment, I explained to her that women can't be the Pope. And for the first time in my life, I found myself telling my oldest child that there was a dream she could not pursue because she is a girl. The list of dreams to which men need only apply is growing shorter. Women are now able to serve in combat positions in the United States military. The Olympics allow women to compete in boxing and even ski jumping. Who knows, maybe Greco-Roman wrestling and Nordic combined will be next. A few years ago, a woman was almost elected president. And perhaps it's worth noting that as a teenager, Hillary Rodham dreamt of being an astronaut until NASA told her that they only accepted men into their program. As a five-year-old girl who had grown up in the Episcopal Church, my daughter was confused why she couldn't find her own place in the church. She had seen women preach from the pulpit and heard women preside at the altar. Why couldn't she be the Pope? I tried explaining to her the differences between the Roman Catholic Church and the Episcopal Church, but as I did so, as much as I would have liked to label misogyny as an exclusively Roman problem, I had to confess to her that patriarchy isn't confined to the other side of the Tiber. So as both her father and as a physical embodiment of the patriarchy that still plagues our church, I told our daughter that she could be anything she set her mind to unless the men of this world got together and decide that she couldn't. But it doesn't have to be that way. In this gospel lesson, we see a different vision of how the world might be. Jesus and his disciples are making their way toward Jerusalem, and they stop in a certain village where they are received as guests into the home of a woman named Martha. Entertaining 12 or so men from out of town is never an easy task, and so we shouldn't be surprised that Martha was overwhelmed by the duty of being the host. Actually, the word that Luke uses isn't overwhelmed or even distracted, which is the word chosen by our translators. Instead, it's a funny word, a word that only occurs here in the Bible. It's a word that, as my friend and colleague Steve Pankey mentioned in his blog this week. It's a word that literally means drawn about, pulled apart. Martha was drawn about by the duties of being the host, split apart, yanked this way and that. 
And when she'd been pulled so far that she couldn't take it anymore, she turned to Jesus and said, Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? Tell her then to help me. Martha's sister Mary, on the other hand, sat quietly at Jesus' feet where the disciples sat. So focused was she on every word that the rabbi said that the tasks of the moment, the the cooking and the serving and the filling of glasses, the chit-chat and making sure all the guests were entertained, all those distractions fell aside. The only thing she cared about in that moment was what the rabbi might say. Everyone in the house knew that Mary's failure to serve wasn't only a failure as a sister, but also a failure as a woman. At least everyone but Jesus and Mary knew that. When Martha had reached the end of her rope, she turned to the religious authority in the room because she knew, she trusted, that an arbiter of the ancestral faith would surely agree that her sister's place was at her side in the kitchen working quietly out of sight, gaining personal satisfaction from knowing that the men in the house were happy. But that's not what Jesus saw, is it? Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, by the many things on your list of chores to which you've given yourself. Actually, Only one thing is needed. For a split second, Martha must have wondered what that one thing was. What was the thing Jesus knew would finish her list? Maybe Jesus needed a glass of water. Or maybe he was telling her that we only needed one dish. A loaf of bread would be enough for everyone. Or or maybe Jesus could tell that there was only one more task to cross off before Martha could sit next to her sister at Jesus' feet. One thing only is needed, Jesus said to her. Mary has chosen the good part, and it won't be taken away from her. Lots of translators prefer to render that word in the comparative form, the better part. Actually, the Greek text is ambiguous. And I think it makes more sense for us to hear Jesus naming that Mary's choice to sit among the disciples was good without needing to compare it with Martha's decision to entertain her guests. What Jesus then is saying to Martha is that Mary, her sister, made a good choice. It is good that she is here with the disciples. This is where she belongs. This is her place. What about you, Martha? Where's your place? Where do you belong? Don't be pulled about. Don't be drawn to and fro by the expectations that are foisted upon you. Don't accept what is handed to you. Listen to the only thing that matters, the one thing that is important. Clear everything else away and ask yourself, where do you belong? Where is your place? Because even if it is here at my feet with the disciples, That will not be taken away from you. In many ways, the church remains the moral framework for our society. 
representatives of the Christian faith love to tell the world the way things should be and shouldn't be. But the ones who are telling it, at least the ones who are telling it the loudest, don't seem to have God's vision for the world in mind. In fact, their vision seems like a self-serving vision wrapped up in a Christian disguise. And how do we know this? Because their vision for the world is nothing like God's vision. Their vision is limited access to health care and more economic disparity. Their vision involves silencing the voices of those with black or brown skin and treating women and minorities as second-class citizens and doing it all in the name of religion. How else? Could the President of the United States tell four women of Congress to go back where they came from and gain support from his supposedly Christian base? That is not Jesus' vision for the world. It's not God's vision for the world. God's vision, which we see in Jesus, is something very different. It is health care for all and prosperity for all and dignity for all, and freedom for all. That's why he heals the lepers and champions the cause of the poor and the helpless and criticizes the rich and powerful and welcomes women like Mary among his disciples. Jesus shows us that God loves and values every human being unconditionally, which leaves no room for racism or classism or toxic masculinity. That is God's vision for the world, and if we are followers of Jesus, then it must be our vision as well. For too long, the church has aligned itself with the powerful and the connected and the privileged We've allowed those who seek their own interest to co-opt the voice of Jesus and silence those who would speak for the welfare of every human being. But the vision of the world that is unfolding around us is not only different from God's vision, it is a threat to God's vision, which is why we can remain silent no longer. We must take back Jesus' voice and speak Jesus' words to those in positions of power. Only one thing is important. Jesus wouldn't take that good portion away from anyone. Why would we let it be taken away? In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.